Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Just like that, the second hour is here for the Monday edition of Hot Mike with Hunter Withrow across the Outkick Network. Glad you're with us. Sixth and Peabody, our location with Yaha Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Recapping the weekend. Got plenty uh, coming up. SEC Mike. Michael Bratton will join us uh, later this hour. Plus, Bobby Carpenter in hour number three. Chad, it's uh, been a fast-paced uh, start to the show. Trade in the NFL. Kevin Byard headed to the Philadelphia Eagles in exchange for draft picks and Terrell Edmonds. And we've got plenty of college football reaction as well this hour. You know who's got to be thrilled about this move? Kevin Byard. Yes. Yeah, no doubt. Because that guy wants to win above all else. Uh, he's the opposite of that mentality I opened the show talking about. Yes. And now he gets to go to an organization that is all in on winning and winning right now. And rightfully so when you see the roster they've, they've acquired. Well, the Browns continue to win, but continue to win without Deshaun Watson, who made the start yesterday in Indianapolis. And as soon as he gets hit, and it, the way he was thrown down and his head hits the back of the turf in Indianapolis, I'm thinking to myself, yeah, this is a concussion. Well, he clears concussion protocol. P.J. Walker comes in, and there's this uncertainty of what is the status of Watson. They see him on the sideline, and it's finally reported. I heard it on Red Zone that it was he had clear concussion protocol. Well, the rest of the game, there he is on the sideline. He's not in pads. He's just watching as P.J. Walker doesn't play very well, but the defense and Miles Garrett and company – it's really Miles Garrett and then the Brown. It's incredible what he's doing. End up winning that game, what, 38-37 in a wild finish. Wild game uh, against Browns and Colts. Watson doesn't clear concussion. It does clear concussion protocol. But then post-game, Kevin Stefanski says it was his decision not to insert Watson back in because he did not want to see Watson get hit. That was his quote. He he was looking out for the safety and well-being of the player and didn't feel like it would be fair to the player if he felt that way to put him back into the game. At the same presser post-game, yes, Watson is our starter. He's our starter next week. He is our guy. But Chad, what did Watson have to say to Mike Florio about that by the time Florio was on Sunday Night Football? Yeah, so I'm watching uh, Football Night in America. I may be the most regular viewer of that program uh, around. Watch it every week. Love it. Good, good form of highlights and then a little bit of analysis. So Mike Florio comes on, and it's after they show the Browns-Colts highlights and states exactly what Hutton just said, that Kevin Stefanski said, precautionary move, clear per, uh, concussion protocol. I made the decision to hold him out, but also added, should be good to go next week and moving forward. And then he said, but we've got some conflicting ideas on this because I got with Deshaun Watson. This is coming from Mike Florio. 
and he said something about praying for healing, got to look into the shoulder some more, and hopefully I'll be back out there at some point. After Stefanski said he expected him back next week. So this game of confusion continues on exactly what the injury status is with Deshaun Watson and how long he's going to be out. And I think yesterday muddies the waters even more because goes out for checking a concussion, gets cleared, doesn't come back in. I, I, I don't it, – It's and I'm looking on the sideline. He's got – you know, they're indoors, and he's got a huge coat on the entire time standing on, on the sideline. I, I feel like some of the top quarterbacks well, in the league uh, uh, would be uh, begging to get back in. Ursay may have that – we may have the roof open for all I know. Well, either way, I didn't see anyone else in a parka. But uh, Deshaun Watson was, and I feel like Patrick Mahomes would have been arguing with Andy Reid to get back in the game uh, had that been the case, had he been cleared with concussion protocol. yeah, I, mean, I don't know what all is going on with the shoulder. Clearly, it's not well, and it's not completely healed because he continues to tell reporters, I, I gotta, we got to get further evaluation on this shoulder and find out what's going on. Stefanski uh, uh, spoke today as well. So, you know, he leaves in the first quarter. He wasn't playing well. And you know, this is following his return after a two-game absence, but also that included a bye week uh, where he hadn't, he hadn't practiced since September 22nd leading up to this week where he finally practiced last Thursday. And Stefanski did not address the specific details of whatever Watson is going through, but it's, you know, he's undergoing more medical tests. The, the idea through Watson is it's the shoulder not clears concussion protocol but you don't want to see your quarterback take a hit is that just the shoulder again and not concussion related not head related but he tied his answer on Watson into all the players saying that they're awaiting results on a bunch of guys that from Stefanski it feels like to me Stefanski, unlike last time where he said oh he was cleared to play and he didn't play and just sort of rolled Watson under the bus and said that's his decision made him look really bad I thought this was Stefanski's effort, regardless of what happened, to protect his guy, his quarterback, and say, hey, it was me, uh, precautionary deal, he'll be back next week, taking the blame away from Deshaun Watson and to remove any narrative that he set himself out, that it was Stefanski's decision. Well, he said- and then Watson comes back after Stefanski helped his rep by yeah. saying that and said, oh, I, don't, I don't know if I'm going to be back next week. I got to... Prayers for healing. Got to get that shoulder looked at some more. It's just a – there's no clarity on either side of this. And the the lack of clarity makes Deshaun Watson look bad. And well, if you've got any interest in not making your quarterback look bad, I, I think there needs to be uh, some sort of clear united front on what he's dealing with, how long he's likely to be out, and what he needs to do to get better. I don't think, though, there's any doubt anymore that it is the shoulder – uh, that's a, a, a huge issue because why would he coming off of a great performance, his best performance as a Brown in week three, sit out because of frustration only to come back and take a hit. And then he's pointing to the shoulder again. I, I do think it's injury related or you know, he's hurt, uh, but there's a difference in the league from players. Are you hurt or are you injured? Right. And then the, the coach and many times plays the guy who's hurt. But if you're injured, you're inactive. The quote today, and he doubled down on just the precaution uh, mindset that he, he took. Stefanski, I'm saying, quote, I, he said this on Zoom to reporters. I thought it was a big hit. I saw it up on the big screen when they showed the replay of it. So I just felt like it was the right thing for the team to do to protect him. 
I'm always going to be protective of our players, especially at the quarterback position. Just felt like the right thing in that moment to hold him out of that game. How much of it, too, is just he wasn't playing well? Well, and maybe Stefanski also uh, misspoke or spoke too much when he said, expect him back next week. Shouldn't have gone as far as to say that without well, fully checking with Watson that could also be, on what he's dealing with. I was also like, okay, what what's going – again, like I'm thinking, is there something behind the scenes here where he's clear but he's not wanting to play, just like he did in warm-ups. And Stefanski took the took the the fall for it in, in postgame. The fall, I mean, it, he's being precautionary, and that's good. I'm not faulting Stefanski for this. But I, the response to, yeah, he's our quarterback, he's our starter – I don't know how he took that question as like, oh, because he's he's now out again. Is there any question that you're going with him a week from now if you're being precautionary? But if it's the shoulder, it's the shoulder, and it's day to day yet again. But it was day to day on just, Wednesday, Chad, last week, yeah, and then he practiced just, the following day. I just think this thing. Look, the Browns are winning, so that's what matters most. So regardless of uh, PJ Walker's play, the defense is keeping you're them right. alive. They scored a bunch of points yesterday. Uh, some of that was from the defense, but the, you know they win the game on the road, so they find a way to keep winning. That that's the most important thing for the Browns. They could help themselves a lot by coming together and issuing some sort of statement, or just not botching a press conference and seemingly putting the blame or the reasoning on the other. It keeps going. It's like a tennis to match. The shoulder. It's- it keeps going back and forth. Stefanski says he was cleared to play. Then Watson's kind of silent. Then there's a lot of mystery about why he's not playing. And then Stefanski says, it was my decision. It was a bad hit. Kept him out. Then Watson, he says, he going to play next week, though? Watson says, oh, not so fast, my friend. Maybe not. I got to get the shoulder looked at some more. Just say what's going on. And then there's no more questions about Deshaun Watson's ability to be, be cleared to play, whether or not he's electing not to play on his own. I, I'm with you, Hutton. It's clear the shoulder's a big issue right now. And only Deshaun Watson knows how bad it is, and it must be pretty bad if he's not playing at all, because he had played well the game before all this started. So just say that. Had played, but then played again, and then he's out with the hit. And, and the, by the way, I did think it was a concussion when I saw it, the hit. I'm, I'm agreeing with Stefanski. With the way yeah, but he was, clear to, he was clear to return, and they and, didn't put him back in. Right, and this is the second time the medical staff has cleared him to, to play, you know? Yeah. Or they didn't go back in. Chad, uh, Patriots take down the Bills. This is at the weekend following the report of Sunday morning that this offseason, Belichick had signed an extension to his contract. And then Tom Curran is uh, over the top saying, it comes over the top of that report saying, but there are many that believe the contract expires after the 2024 season. So it's a lucrative contract. It's a big extension, but big meaning, I guess, financially, according to Curran. It's an intriguing storyline to follow. But the team itself hasn't just thrown in the towel. That's evident based on how they played against Buffalo. And the Bills are a big storyline based on how they're playing because behind the arm of Josh Allen and knowing that Diggs has been putting up numbers this season, they're not getting it done through the method of which we used to see them win these shootouts. And in many cases, they're not winning the battle up front, which has also got to be troubling to them. The Patriots won this game, and they had no business doing so. And the Bills had some real head scratchers a year ago. And uh, Josh Allen, after the game, is saying, I I feel like I'm saying this on repeat, that we got to figure this out. And I don't know what's going on, but we got to figure out a way to be better. And 
It feels bleak is the word that he used, not me right now. That, that's not good. This is, you know, three straight weeks now of not great play from the Buffalo Bills, a team that should be a lot better. Um, you can look at the, the AFC East also. And, look, I, I see a Miami team that's explosive, playing great offense. Their two losses, though, were against the two good teams they've played. That they've beaten up on a really bad schedule outside of that. Now, they've destroyed teams that don't have a great record, but in their games against Buffalo and Philly, they haven't looked as good and, and lost both those games. So what is that division right now is a, is a question I have because what we thought about it was the Bills are the strength, the Dolphins have the offense, yes, the Jets are toast because they lost Aaron Rodgers. Well, they just beat the Eagles. Something the Dolphins couldn't do a week later. I don't know. I still think the Patriots suck, quite frankly. I think that's a terrible loss for Buffalo in that game. I don't think the Patriots are now going to go on some sort of run. But kudos to Bill Belichick for finding a way to win a game under circumstances that he probably shouldn't have won. Something he's done a lot in his career. And, you know, the the reports of a multi-year extension for Belichick yesterday – that gives a sense within the organization that he's going to be around for a while, right? Stability, he's, he's there, not this year, next year, but beyond. Multi-year gives that kind of sense. Well, Tom Curran, longtime reporter for NBC Boston, uh, says, today's report on Bill Belichick's extension gives players and coaches a sense that Bill's going to be here. But my sense is the extension, which likely runs through 2024, won't preclude the team from making a hard decision on Bill if results aren't there. He's talking about this year. Yeah. Current is. Won't preclude the team from making a hard decision on Bill if results are not there. Then they go out and they beat Buffalo. Um, but Albert Breer comes back and reposts this and says, if, if Belichick's contract only runs through 24, and he says, I don't know that one way or the other, the news wouldn't be that he got a new deal. The news is that regardless of what happens this year, if there's a hard decision you made, 2024 is a contract year for Bill Belichick. And you've got Vrabel getting into the uh, Patriots Hall of Fame on the seventh uh, run at it. He, um, not Different nominations were made seven different times. Uh, they planned this event around Vrabel's bye week, matching up with a Patriots home game. And this was before the team's two and four. But you know the Rumors there are going to ramp up just like they will be for Gerard Mayo if results aren't there, quote-unquote, through reports about Belichick. And Vrabel was a good luck charm when he's in the building. They end up beating the Bills. Unless, well, whenever he's in the building, either in pads or in the booth, when he's on the sidelines, Titans have beaten the Patriots. Hutton, um, you know I love a good social experiment, so I just tweeted out a picture of yes. Mike Vrabel right there in the, in the suite uh, with Robert Kraft and his red Patriots jacket. And I just said, Titans fans, how does this make you feel? Just that simple question. And I mean, the responses were a ton of people basically saying, eh, nothing to see here. You know, good for him. He's being acknowledged by his team. Yeah. And there were some others that were immediately coming back and saying, can they pull off the trade right now? Because the Titans need draft picks <laughs> badly. <laughs> if you want to make a trade, you can and have Vrabel back in New England. Who knows where this whole thing ends I just still see the Patriots and don't think they're a team that's going to start no. suddenly winning a ton of games. No, I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you. Uh, but it is interesting that Belichick hasn't lost the locker room after the way they've been losing games and practicing this team in the rain, which he's always done. But this group, 
going to Dallas the same week in the pouring rain, then they get boat raced there too. Uh, speaking of losses, Washington's uh, defensive lineman, Jonathan Allen, tired of losing. He hasn't lost a whole lot in his career until he became a pro. Now he's seven years in. And uh, yeah, they lose 14-7 to to the New York Giants. And postgame has a lot to say that can only be read instead of said uh, throughout the media in many cases. Allen says he, you know, that they whipped us plain and simple. And then goes on to say, when, when asked if it was uh, frustrating, F yes, it does. I'm effing tired of this bleep. I'm bleeping tired of this bleep. He repeats it again. It's been seven bleeping years of the same bleep. I'm tired of this bleep. Yeah. That sums it up. Yeah. Is he tired of, of the bleep? Sure. I was, I was unclear on we whether or not he's tired. We have to bleep it out even it. if we were allowed to play audio and video, Jeff. That's right. But we could, we could, I can, I'm pretty good with the timing. I can yeah. bleep it out myself. You want to see audio and video, time. just rewatch one of our previous shows from last month. If, if Jonathan Allen has a great quote from a show two months ago, it's you'll be able there. to see it on YouTube That's right. in that show. No doubt. The man's a good quote machine. We'll play it on previous shows. <laughs> Promise. I can just start doing impressions. Yep. Probably get in trouble for trying that one, though. Not going to try that one. Michael Bratton next on the SEC and more. What's up, everyone? It's Nick Wright, and I got something exciting to talk to you about today. Angie, your ultimate destination for getting all your jobs done well. Now, Angie isn't just your average home services marketplace. It's a game changer with over 150 million homeowners served and a network of over 200,000 skilled pros. Angie has experience and expertise to tackle any project with ease. Whether you're looking to spruce up your backyard or undergo a major home renovation, Angie's got your back and their pros are locally based, often running small businesses right in your community. And here's the best part. Angie makes the process seamless from researching and comparing pros to scheduling services at your convenience. Angie's user-friendly platform puts you in control. So why settle for anything less than perfection when it comes to your home? With Angie, you can trust every project will be completed with the utmost care and professionalism. So get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today to discover why homeowners across the nation are turning to Angie to get all their jobs done well. Hi, Mike with Hunter Withrow rolls on across the Outkick Network. Chad, how would you describe the game between Alabama and Tennessee? Tale of two halves. Up 20-7 to seven at halftime. Poorly, poorly officiated for one team. Way more than the other is the so, other way I describe it. Yeah. Well, yes, absolutely. The officiating at all levels right now is really bad, even in the NFL. Terribly confusing at times really too. There were a couple examples in that Tennessee Alabama game that I, I'm still left with a lot of confusion on what exactly happened and what was called, or how something could have been reversed, or how a spot could have been moved or not moved at times. And even some of the rules officials that come on are, are perplexed upon review why, why something happens. Well, you know who brings clarity? Oh, yes, he does. Michael Bratton, yes, SEC he does. Mike, joins us. The on king Hot of clarity. The king of clarity is what I always <laughs> like to call him. What's up, Mike? How are you? 
Hey, you doing great, boys. Thanks for having me. How would you describe what happened in the second half for, for Tennessee against Bama and uh, Milrow and company? Uh, I mean, on one hand, a coaching mastery by Nick Saban, even though I've said he's lost his fastball, and then a coaching malpractice by Josh Heupel. I mean, it, it looked like they, they just thought they had that game won. And, and really, they, I know they were up 20 to 7, but should have been 28 to 7. Failures in the red zone. I, th- I thought that was going to be critical in the game, and it, it ended up just like that. I mean, when, when you have Alabama on the ropes, you got you to gotta put them down. And Tennessee certainly didn't do that. And we saw that right out the gate, Alabama in the second half. As soon as Alabama scored at two plays, I said, well, they're, go- they're going to roll in this game. And that I didn't anticipate, what was it, 27-0 run, but no doubt in my mind, even though they were still losing, that they were going to win after they came out so hot in the second half. Yeah. Saban talking to his team at halftime. And then what I took away from Saban's react, he's sprinting after the interview with the cigar which he doesn't smoke cigars, but he's chewing on it. He makes a joke about that. Then sprints to the fan, to the student area and, you know, high fives and thanks them. And then sprints back, you know, the, the, uh, the excitement within him based on the, how he's coached this team is evident. Chad, you know what I think has helped Nick Saban more than anything else losing a few times. I really do. I, I think he enjoys the challenge of this. I think he got bored. I think having the standard of beating everyone by 35 plus points was not as much fun to him as losing a couple games, being challenged openly by people, losing a game early this season. I feel like the challenge of all that has sort of renewed him a little bit this season, and he likes this team and likes this challenge even more. Do you buy that, Mike? Yeah, without a doubt. And uh, I'll tell you that uh, it was about two weeks ago I heard from someone on the coaching staff down there, and they, they just said, You've been running your mouth. Watch out. He's got that eye of the tiger. He's running around on the practice field like a 30-year-old man. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I've been saying he's he's about ready to retire for about 10 years. It, it may be <laughs> a, another 10 years before Nick Saban officially hangs him up. But, uh, yeah, no, I think you're exactly right. This this is a, a team that he's really had to put his hands on, and they have certainly taken leaps and bounds from where they were early in the season. But – I'll say all those nice things. That's all I'm going to say nice about Alabama. I still think, you know, this is far from where Alabama's expectations should be. I'm, I'm getting crushed for, uh, I've been calling it the the decaying dynasty, and, and these fans are all up in my mentions, which they should be after win after win after win. But, I mean, I, I have no anticipation that they'll beat Georgia, that they'll even make the playoff. And if they're sitting here second, maybe even the third best team in the SEC if LSU beats them, uh, I mean, is it really a dynasty anymore? If, if you you're not even winning the conference, and I I think they're I think they're a mile behind Georgia right now. Let's let's talk Josh Heupel on the flip side of this uh, a little bit. I don't think I've seen Heupel that worked up post game about officiating. When asked about the one sided nature of it, he just went silent for twenty or thirty seconds and was sort of pacing and wouldn't say anything to get himself fined. Um, I, I thought the call to go for it on fourth down, you know, okay. But the play call, terrible. Tennessee's been bad in short yardage when you're snapping the ball five yards back to start. That's a difficult spot to start in in, in, in short yardage. Overall, what'd you make of the day for, for Josh Heupel after what was a terrific start and first half coaching, playing, everything for Tennessee? Yeah, and, uh, you know, this is – He's obviously he's in his third season. This is two years now where the first and obviously now where 
short yardage has just been a massive, massive issue. That that was a big difference for them last season. But you know, I I don't get caught up in the officiating. I I don't I I think it was far from a perfectly called game, but that getting destroyed in the second half, you can't blame that on officials. You know what I mean? So I, I am always of the belief when you're going up against Alabama, particularly on the road, when you're playing Georgia, when you're playing some of these elite teams that Tennessee fans hope to meet with, you have to go for it on these fourth downs. And I, I get your point, Chad, is, you know, some of the play calls were interesting to put it kindly, but I got no problem, even though they didn't work. I, you, you, I bury Jimbo when he's punting it on fourth and one. I'm not going to sit here and bury Hypo for, for going for it. I mean, I, I'll be talking out both sides of my mouth. But, yeah, I, you have to play aggressive, particularly on the road. Didn't work. But I, I think the real issue, and, and probably why Hypo is really upset, and he'll never say it, but he's just so handicapped in, in what they can do with Joe Milton. And – Having said that, I think Joe Milton played his best game yes. of the season yeah. on Saturday. So I'm not saying he's the reason they lost, but the receivers are an issue. I, I mean, I thought this was going to be a great receiving core. They they essentially have one receiver that can get separation. Uh, when you don't have an effective passing game, I, I realize they have they're an elite ground team now, but that's you just can't do that week in week out in the SEC. Not with some of these defenses they're facing. So I think the real frustration with Heupel is his offense and and it being handicapped by the pieces he has right now. And and ultimately he's responsible for that. Is it time to bury Sam Pittman at Arkansas? <laughs> uh, he's a nice guy. Let me let me. Can I just say that he's a he's great a heck guy. of a guy. Great guy. Great guy. Love his stance on social media. <laughs> love everything you had to say about that. A lot of things to like about Sam Pittman. Yeah, and uh, I saw this stat today. 21 times under Sam Pittman, Arkansas has been in a one-possession game. Their record is 5-16 and 16 in one-possession games. So, I mean, clearly coaching is an issue. And, yeah, I mean, we get another performance like we did Saturday in a, in a game he called a must-win. It was a must-win, and they just completely laid an egg. Now they, f they fired their offensive coordinator. They got two weeks to prepare for a big game here at Florida, but – if they just get destroyed at Florida, which very well could happen, uh, I, I think that's that's a reasonable thing to say is, uh, you know, it, we may be in our best interest to move on because this is not getting any better. Uh, K.J. Jefferson, I, I still think he's one of the best in the SEC, but he can't showcase it because every time he's dropping back to take a pass, he's, he's having to duck, dodge, dive, dodge <laughs> uh, every defender in the book, and, and he's, he's essentially playing hero ball because he's got no other option. They have no running game. They're another one that has receivers that are not getting separation. It's just a travesty, and I can only imagine how bad it could get when they lose K.J. Jefferson next season. Missouri just takes it to South Carolina uh, on Saturday. And I, I want to start with South Carolina on this one because after the, the meltdown against Florida, blowing the 10-point lead late, when Shane Beamer comes back and blames his players for everything that happened, in his post-game press conference, Hutton and I sat here afterward and said, let's see how they come out against Missouri yeah. in this game. And I think they're down 24 nothing against Missouri to start the game. That, that's not a good sign for his control of the locker room. I watch Florida State play in primetime, and I see a guy like Jaheim Bell who left the program. That's not a good sign for his program either. Where is Shane Beamer and the South Carolina team right now? It's in shambles. Uh, I mean, the best two and five team in the country right now. So that ain't saying much for, uh, for what Shane Beamer's got going down there. And my biggest thing with Shane Beamer, 
it's not even all the the press conference antics. You're right. He he did call his team out in that post game. You go back and watch that game. He called them out. They did. They do the sideline interview after the first quarter. He said the same thing. He's he's saying we're calling these plays. They're not doing it. So he's called his players out on multiple occasions that week. And I, I think I think they kind of have quit on him now. Credit to Missouri for kind of making them quit. I think by the time Missouri had, it was seventeen to zero. I think South Carolina had about thirty yards in the game. I mean, it, it was dreadful. And that is with Spencer Rattler, who I think is. I mean, this might sound comical, but I, he's probably a top three, top four quarterback in the SEC right now. He's another one. He's getting no help. Got sacked six times. His best receivers out. Second best receivers banged up. The defense is dreadful. Uh, I thought Shane Beamer, when we were getting him, you know, he's got this amazing Rolodex of coaches and, and obviously through his father, he's got all these connections and he hires his best friend to be his offensive coordinator. That was an abject disaster. Uh, his defensive coordinator now is probably the worst in the SEC. And he hired another offensive coordinator that's never called plays in college football. So where are, where are all these connections that I thought, I mean, I thought this was going to be the strength of the Shane Beamer era was, was hiring coaches and he seems to be a disaster at that as well. So I don't know. I mean, I, I've been one of the biggest Shane Beamer defenders because I, they've overachieved the, the last, the first two years, but this year, I don't even think they go to a bowl game. I really don't. Michael Bratton, our guest, SEC Mike on Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow across the Outkick Network. Ole Miss should win their next two. Should win their next two. They're hosting Vanderbilt. Then they're hosting Texas A&M. Let's assume, let's add two more wins to what they're doing. November 11th, they visit Georgia. Are we going to collectively buy in to the hype around Ole Miss the way we have in early parts of the seasons when they go to Tuscaloosa or host the Crimson Tide and they don't finish the deal based on the hype of said game? Well, let's just hope Lane Kiffin keeps his mouth shut that week because I, I think that's what killed him against Alabama. All that, and And there was a lot of legitimacy to what he was actually saying about uh, Alabama's coaching staff, which, which that's the whole reason that was thrown out there. But it, I think it backfired epically, obviously against them in Alabama. So just keep his mouth shut. But to get to the, what you're really asking me, I, I think so, because I, okay. while I, while I said Georgia is, is miles ahead of Alabama, they're not unbeatable. And they finally have got Quinshawn Junkins going there in Oxford that that's critical to the game. Cause I think he's the most outstanding individual player short of maybe Brock Bowers. Who's, who's going to be sidelined more than likely for that game. Uh, I think Junkins is going to be the best player on the field there. They'll have to ride him. He's going to have to have an epic performance, but Ole Miss defense has, has turned a corner under Pete Golding. So yeah, I I'd give him a fight, a puncher's chance to win in Athens as it never would have imagined me saying that, but I think that's where we're at. Do you give the Gators a puncher's chance this weekend in the cocktail party without Brock Bowers in Georgia and Florida looking a little bit better as the season's going on? I give him a chance to cover the spread. I'll, I'll okay. say that. I, I think Florida is a fraud. That's a win for I, some, <laughs> yeah. depending on what you play. I, I think they're going to get killed. I, I mean, I, I think it was about a 20-point ball game. And, and as far as LSU is concerned, what's the spoiler level for you for what they're capable of? Uh, I mean, I think it's as high as it could go and maybe I'm probably pretty biased because I picked them to, to win the SEC I did too, by the way. Yeah. I'm with you. I picked them to win the national championship though. I was, I was okay, on an okay. island there, but Hey, the offense is humming. The defense has 
taken some strides, but I, I still think that's kind of, that's based on what they did against Army and, and Auburn, who's, who's just got awful on the offensive side of the ball. So I'm not buying that. It might be a little bit of smoke and mirrors, the, the improvements they've made on the defensive side of the ball, but can they beat Alabama? I certainly think they can. Even in Tuscaloosa, I, I kind of doubt that they can beat Georgia in the SEC championship. And, and by some miracle, if they do, I think we got to give Jane Daniels the Heisman. I, I think he'd be the clear winner. And maybe they could make a run in the playoff, but I, just being realistic, and I'm the biggest SEC homer there is, I, I don't know if an SEC team is capable of winning the national championship this year. I'm kind of right there with you. Uh, based on what we've seen recently. SEC Mike has been our guest. Uh, check out the the great work that he does. Uh, always great to have you on, Mike, and uh, welcome here anytime. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, man, absolutely. It's Michael Bratton. Really interested to see the start of Georgia without Brock Bowers in this game. Both teams with the bye week, getting ready for it. Florida has, I mean, Florida's kind of really hit or miss. That comeback against South Carolina was impressive on the road. They looked terrible against Kentucky on the road before that. Um, interested to see some of that game. Yeah, but it's also like for all of the discussion we've had about all of these four stars, five stars, draft picks, and the reload that they have, right? Georgia, really it comes down to how much does Bowers mean for Beck? And how does it affect his quarterback play? Because they've got the star power around him it's just the quarterback play is going to end up making making or breaking Georgia season the quest for yet another national title um I agree with you guys though they're not at that level I don't think can they win it this year yes you can win in this college football season they're just uh, the level is so extremely high based on what we've seen the last two years that's you, what I'm saying you want to talk about pressure too Texas A&M at home against South Carolina don't lose that one if you're Jimbo Fisher, they are a two touchdown favorite. They've lost a game like this at home recently. Like they are four and years. four if they lose this game at home. Coming off a of bye week, by the way, to get ready for it. Coming up, college football overreaction and the reaction to what Michigan State did this weekend. Next. Hey, I'm a Dan, and I know what dads want for Father's Day. They want steak, world class Omaha steaks. Look. Dads deserve top-quality American beef, and that's what you'll get with Omaha Steaks as their Father's Day gift. I gift Omaha Steaks constantly to guests on my show. Urban Meyer, the football coach, Mike Krzyzewski, the basketball coach, Kevin Pritchard, general manager of the Indiana Pacers, just to name a few, have received the gift of steak, Omaha Steaks, from me. Order mouth-watering gift packages starting at just $99. And as a bonus, use promo code DAN to get $10 off your order. Give the gift that I give to guests on my show. Mouth-watering gift packages from Omaha Steaks starting at just $99. And as a bonus, use promo code DAN to get $10 off your order. Sack up and get your dad something he'll love this Father's Day. Sixth and Peabody, our location. Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Love these guys. Had a Old Smoky uh, reps in earlier today. Yeah. But a, a huge crowd in studio in here. That's right. Well, it was great to see them. They uh, thanked us uh, 
thanked us for allowing them in. I said, it's your place. By all means, come host the show today if you'd like. It is their place. You can kick us out in whenever you want. Come in and do the show. Let's do it. Chad, how about Michigan State? I mean, the optics, the self-awareness, the just common sense factor here is, I just shake my head at it. Uh, they put Hitler on the Jumbotron during a break uh, at the game at Spartan Stadium. And what they're doing, they were playing like this quiz deal, uh, like a history uh, or just a, they had a trivia on the screen from a YouTube channel where the answer was Adolf Hitler. And then it just shows an image on the YouTube channel of the answer, which is Adolf Hitler. And I'm thinking just with everything going on, plus with what Michigan State has had go on just throughout the last several years, what are they doing? Well, you got the the screenshot opportunity with the picture with the Michigan State logo and then Adolf right. Hitler below it, which everyone's going to use against them from now it, into eternity. And Chad, it's someone else's YouTube channel that they're just putting up there. It's just stupid. We see this across media. We see this with teams too. Stupid, self-inflicted wounds. Like everything yes. is, is competitive enough that people are out to get you in major college sports, professional sports, major media, whatever you work in. Other entities are out to beat you and out to get you. Don't help them. You're going to get beat. It's competitive. All these businesses are competitive. All these games and leagues are competitive. So understand that you're going to lose at times and get beaten. Don't beat yourself. Don't commit these self-inflicted penalties, these self-inflicted wounds. Like, I don't know, putting trivia up from some unsanctioned YouTube page that puts a picture of Adolf Hitler on your jumbotron 81 minutes before you play your top rival in Michigan. That's a stupid self-inflicted wound that should not happen. Show a game. Here's what I see in most stadiums when they're getting ready, when teams are down, they're warming up. They'll put games on from a, a network affiliated with the Big Ten that's airing a game. That's what you do for people that are in your stadium 81 minutes before. If you want to find a way to not have any problems, just air a game, I don't know, on the Big Ten Network, the league that you're in, instead of showing Adolf Hitler as a trivia answer. That, that's a pretty easy way to handle that. Yeah, and they so suspe suspended the employee who uh, put it on the Jumbotron. Uh, but again, if it, uh, from the looks of it, they, it, the owner of the YouTube channel, I guess he claimed copyright issues, uh, <laughs> threw it on the Jumbotron. He said, they didn't ask my permission to, uh, to run this, this channel on there. Well, hilarious. So put that together. In all of this, they also get a, a copyright violation from the author of the Hitler trial. Well, no, just, just a, a claim that they didn't ask permission to do it. I'm sure, yeah, again, I'm sure that uh, he's getting more uh, attraction to the whatever he's doing than anything else. I think he was asked about why it was on his channel. He's like, well, I mean, Hitler's an answer to uh, a trivia question or, you know, for, for history. There's a big spike in Nazi trivia because of this story right now. That so. guy's YouTube page has never been more popular. Well, this is just one. It's not even, it's not even Nazi trivia, Chad. It was more just uh It's like this guy was born here in Austria. He, yeah. Or where was he born type thing. Yeah. Again, just stupid on, uh, on Michigan State's part. Uh, but it, do, it does seem very innocent. But it's Michigan State behind it. Yeah, it's just behind the You just open issue. yourself up for every college football pregame show to have fans bring signs in right. that's going to plaster that photo of Michigan State with a jumbotron and Adolf Hitler's picture on it forever. That's what you've done. That's right. And you did it. 
It's, it's when you do it to yourself. That's the dumb part about it. Yep. And where everyone else can see it without covering up. Well, the other dumb like one was uh, uh, Auburn deleting their post on Instagram and Twitter. It was like just, just meeting a fan. Coach Freeze meeting a fan or whatever it was. And it was Lane Kiffin with, uh, with Hugh Freeze. Come on. Yeah. Uh, Ole Miss, you're saying? Yeah. Trolling them. No, I think it was Auburn. Oh, I thought it was Ole Miss. I think Auburn posted Coach Hugh Freeze meeting a fan. And it was, oh, I read it it was the Lane Kiffin. I, I read it the wrong way then. Yeah. Oh, it was, it was Hugh Freeze. You're saying prior to the game? Yes. Okay. It was now them I... meeting during stretching. And it's like just Coach Freeze with a fan. Or something. Then they got beat, right? And they deleted the post, yeah, because they were getting ripped. Yes. Uh, Quinn Ewers is week to week. He's got an injury to his throwing shoulder, and uh, Sarkeesian announced today that uh, the injury doesn't appear to be season-ending, and his goal is to get him back sooner rather than later. But this happened in uh, this past weekend's game against Houston, which was a good game, and straight to the injury tent, and then uh, back to the locker room for Ewers. This uh, throws a a dent in my theory that we're having the Texas-Oklahoma rematch for the Big 12 title in the final year of both of them being members of that conference. Not season-ending doesn't give me a lot of hope when you frame it that way. Not like, hey, he's going to be back in a couple weeks. Just not season-ending. Don't know how much time he's going to miss, but that's obviously a huge blow for Texas. Let's see their upcoming schedule. Not season-ending. Is he hinting that get to the Big 12 championship game and yours makes his comeback appearance? Not I don't know. season ending. I, I, so I would hosting, hope he's back quicker than that. Well, they're hosting BYU. That should be a win, even with a backup quarterback. Hosting Kansas State at TCU at Iowa State, hosting Texas Tech. That's their remaining schedule. TCU got housed by Kansas State over the weekend. Forty four to six. K State beat them. And think about what that game was last year. Well, think about what TCU was last year. I know. TCU went from the national championship game where they got just flogged in front of America by Georgia in that game to losing After to, Michigan. let's face it, a bad Colorado team that's turning out to be bad as the year goes on mm-hmm. uh, and losing 44-6 to to a K-State team they were in an absolute war against right. a year ago in the Big 12 championship game. Tough fall from grace for TCU. TCU had a pretty good quarterback a year ago. Texas has one this year that's on the men's time for overreaction across college football what's up guys how are we doing today davy welcome into the week thank you uh speaking of quinn Ewers, i I asked this question because you guys said it's it's not exactly season ending according to coach sark but uh we've seen players that uh potentially are high draft picks shut it down so my first statement for college football overreaction quinn Ewers has played his last game at texas no i don't think so yeah i'm gonna go overreaction on that one he's gonna come back I, i hope it's not it sounds – I think it sounds worse than it is when Sarkeesian says not season-ending. This seems like a two-week thing. He's going to miss a game, maybe two, but he'll be back with two or three games left in the regular season and whatever postseason Texas Well, there was a, Texas there was a report from, uh, from Rivals that said it was uh, – he was expected to miss several weeks. I don't take that as just one or two weeks. But week-to-week, week, Chad, to me, with the AC joint sprint – I think he's back. Um, it's a good question if he's back based on a couple lost Texas team, though. And I don't, I just don't get that sense that yours is the guy to mail it in. All right, guys. Uh, he is in a sling, though. Just on top of that, for those looking to see Arch Manning um, 
Murphy, I've already forgot his first name, but he's likely starting for for Texas. Is it Malik? Not Malik Murphy. Malik Murphy, that's correct. Yeah. yeah. He's a highly touted recruit as well. Uh, next on the list, though, uh, next Tuesday, so October 31st, we will have our first college football playoff rankings be unveiled. So I've got a few college football playoff statements I want to get your guys' thoughts on. Florida State will win the ACC and make the college football playoff. Reality or overreaction? It's reality. Um, Florida State's remaining schedule after beating Duke uh, on, on uh, Saturday night. At Wake Forest, Wake Forest has been a bit of a disappointment this year. At Pitt, Miami at home, Mario Cristobal. Ugh. North Alabama at Florida. I, they're running the table. There's always a possibility for a surprise somewhere along the way. I think they're running the table. I think they're going to win the ACC championship game. I think those that should be in contention with them, notably Miami and Clemson, both look pretty average right now. I think it's Florida State's conference. They're going to run the table and be in the playoff. Well, I mean, right now, two short weeks ago, we were saying, oh, ACC or possibly – Pac-12 was the talk, maybe ACC. Could they get multiple teams into the college football playoff discussion? Now both of those conferences are down to one team that remains unbeaten. Florida State, yes, they're going to win the conference. The key, the key area for me, though, is they've only, what is it, how many interceptions? It's like six interceptions on the season, four interceptions on the season. Um, the, the turnovers there are so low that even in a close game, they're going to have everything tipped to their favor because they keep the football, and they've got final possession. Even in a tight window game, they're winning this conference. And, I, Chad, I think the other part of it, there are some other programs that typically have just fallen by the wayside this time of year, North Carolina. But also, I mean, the way things are going at Miami for Cristobal and then knowing what happened with Clemson, there's so many variables that some teams aren't going to play each other, but the teams that there could be in contention with one loss, nah. They're, they're not going to be sticking around with just one loss, even if Florida State has a loss. Okay, and then the Pac-12 will not have a team make the college football playoff for the seventh consecutive year. I feel like every week you badly want one of us to say that it's not going to happen for I, them. I mean, And we, every week I keep coming back and saying, stop sleeping on my Washington Huskies. I'm not. Well, they're, they're, they went into the game sleeping. They're, they're, they due, they're due a sleepwalk performance, and they still won the game. I, I think Washington's going to get in. And if not Washington, I think someone – even a one-loss Pac-12 champion will find their way into the college football playoff. See, I, I pose those two back-to-back because if Florida State gets in as an ACC school undefeated, you're also likely having Georgia undefeated in the SEC and then Michigan or Ohio State at this point undefeated. So it just doesn't leave many opportunities. You know what always happens, Davey? And you know this, having followed the college football playoff. All of these mathematical scenarios you're putting in your head right now, they go away. It's always down to like one one loss debate between teams at the end. Everyone that's undefeated, they'll get a loss, or it works itself out neatly in the end. Yeah. I think it's going to again, and I, I think we're going to have a no-loss or one-loss Pac-12 champion in that playoff. Okay. I, I agree, and Washington, they just won a game without an offensive touchdown for the first time in 22 years. I mean, it's not like they're – sleepwalking, yes – but it's not like that can be repeated. This offense is way too good for that. They were outgained by over 100 yards, right, in this game? Yeah. Shout um, out Kenny Dillingham. Great yeah, performance and, by hey, him at Arizona State. And a lot, of, uh, a lot of reasons not to have the attention to that group, starting with the bold, you know, the postseason self-imposed ban uh, to begin the season. He's got this group and that defense playing very well. 
Guys, next up, got a Heisman question for you. J.J. McCarthy will win the Heisman. Currently the favorite at most betting sites. Man, I'm going to say yes to this. I also think there will be Heisman voters that won't vote on him because of the Michigan scandal. That's a great, that's a great point. That will happen. I, I'll, I'll always bring up this example. Uh, Charles Woodson won a Heisman Trophy with four touchdowns, playing offense, defense, and special teams over Peyton Manning. Voters can get something in their head and vote whatever way they want, and they can justify it however they want. That should not have happened. It did. J.J. McCarthy could be the best player by far on the best team by far in America. But there will be voters that will use this against Michigan and not vote for him. Dave even brought up the example that there was someone who voted against Aaron Rodgers to win the MVP because he didn't get vaxxed. Yeah. Voters can do whatever they want in this, whether it makes sense or not. So I'm going to say he wins it, though. I Right now, I say yes. Um, And here's why. Uh, he is going to have the final audition for the vote. November 25th against Ohio State. Penn State's a, a week and a half earlier, right? Two weeks earlier. Yes. That sounds right. Two weeks earlier. November 11th. November 25th. Michigan hosts Ohio State. You know, C.J. Stroud didn't win the Heisman last year because of that game. You know, J.J. Uh, McCarthy can win it on that day. Tyler needs to cover his ears right now, but I'll tell you right now who I don't think can win that game. Kyle McCord not impressed with him on Saturday especially early on in that game JJ McCarthy can't has won this game can win this game when we get to Ohio State Michigan I right now do not have faith in Kyle McCord to play against that Michigan defense the way he's got to play to win the game the answer to that question Davey comes down to eyeballs for voters for selectors and a lot of them aren't watching all of these different Heisman camp how many how many of those guys have watched Michael Penix Jr. play they weren't watching this past weekend. I wasn't either, by the way. But Michael Penix Jr. is not going to be in the spotlight enough. And Michigan's about to be twice over the final three weeks of the season. Headlines when we return next, plus Bobby Carpenter. 